Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how partnering with Booking Protect can give you and your customers more peace of mind in a purchase, a better buying experience, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. The global leaders in refund protection. Also, I've just released an ebook, 101 Ways to Market, Sell, and Monetize Your Live Event. You can get that by sending me an email, dave at davewakeman.com with the subject line, Revenue, and I'll get, a, a, get you a copy over immediately. My guest today is my friend Alan Geflin from Fair Ticket Solutions. Alan was on a panel with me and Andrew Thomas at Intix about how to be more like the airlines. And Alan has had an idea about the check-ins that he's been working on for a few years now. But in the on the airport, uh, the ride back to the airport from Intix, Alan goes, "I just realized something, Dave. It's not really about the check-in so much as it's about the engagement." throughout the whole process that's the most important thing and that the check-in is just a point of engagement and so I, I said Alan let's talk about this a little bit more on the podcast so I have Alan on we talk about engagement we talk about uh, some of the barriers and some of the technologies involved some of the challenges that are in place of engaging with customers um, how to generate revenue how to maximize contact how to grow relationships with your customers um, but all of it's built around engagement and connection to the customer, which I think is really, really interesting and something that we need to spend a lot more time thinking about. So here's my conversation with Alan Geflin from Fair Ticket Solutions on the Business of Fun. I want to welcome my friend Alan Geflin to the Business of Fun podcast. Alan, what's happening, my friend? Uh, great, Dave. Uh, nice to hear from you and great day up here in Vancouver. Yeah, I... I love Vancouver. Um, you know, I, I, I told you that many times before, and I wish I was in Vancouver today because as I'm recording this thing, there's a severe windstorm going through D.C. Um, that's already knocked out my power twice uh, this over, overnight. So so hopefully we'll get through the podcast all right. So Sounds good. Yeah, no. So I wanted to have you on for a lot of stuff, right, because you are at Fair Ticket Solutions, and we sat on a panel together with our mutual friend Andrew Thomas, uh, AKA Ticket Tattle, AKA uh, Mr. Ticketing Professionals Conference himself. And we talked about a lot of stuff on the panel. And I thought that our conversation probably should extend because um, we only had an hour to go through all three of our different ideas. So thank you for coming on. And, and, and you know, and hopefully we're going to give some people some stuff to chew on. Um, and I want to start out by talking to you about one of the key takeaways that you and I discussed in the cab ride over to DFW when we were leaving Intix, which was the idea of engagement, right? And you were like going, my God, I came to this epiphany that everything that I'm trying to do is built around the engagement and the, the idea of capturing customers at a time when they're emotionally most engaged with going to an event. Can you elaborate on, you know, engagement, the epiphany and the emotional aspect of like you know, one of the things you talk about is check-in process, but just in general of the ticket buying experience, especially in the lead up to an event. 
Um, yeah, David. Um, well, I think everybody is out there searching for a way to engage with their customers. And everybody seems to think that, you know, if we get a person's ID and we get their email address, we can push them an alert anytime. I've heard that so many times by uh, people in the industry. But the fact of the matter is, is that you could be pushing an alert to somebody with exactly what they want when they're dropping their child off for school in the morning. And at that point in time, the person doesn't have the time. And the day goes by, and then the event comes that night, and they've missed that opportunity. And so you got to think, well, how do you focus on getting that person's attention at the right time that creates value for them, hopefully a better experience, and more revenue for you? And what we learned is the airlines seem to have a way to do that because 24 hours before you and I get on the many flights that we get on, the airlines send us an email asking us to drop everything we're doing. And they do that because we have to do a simple task for them, and that's check-in. And they tell us if we don't do that, well, they're not going to let us on the plane the next day that we paid for. So at that point in time, a lot of people do it, or sometime afterwards when it's convenient, we drop everything, no matter what else is important in our lives. And we focus on that task of checking in. At that point in time, the airlines have us. They've engaged us. What we, we tend to call the engagement opportunity. And from that comes two value propositions. The first one being they get a lot more revenue. First is, you know, would you like a, a seat upgrade, Dave? Would you like to pay for your pre-boarding uh, pass to get on the airlines earlier? Do you want to pay up front for food and Wi-Fi? They get more revenue to the tune that I think our friend Andrew said on our on our panel that United Airlines last year had a total of six point two billion dollars in extra revenue. Um, maybe that didn't all come from add-ons that maybe they had something before, but still, it's a big number. And the second thing that they do is they um, try and make our airline experience a little bit better. Um, would we like to pay for our bags in advance um, so we can just just drop them off really simply? Um, we're going to, uh, you know, Terminal C, Gate 43 in Chicago. It's um, an extra 40 minutes to get there, so give ourselves an extra time. Or, you know, you're going to New York and it's snowing there. Um, it's minus 12. Bundle up and would you like a rental car or, or an Uber waiting? So these two value propositions come from engaging. Now, in our industry, it seems like strange that people seem to miss that point. Um, that everybody seems to think that we can just push it at any time we want. And I think what we have to do is not think about the data and pushing, but find that, that opportunity at some point in time that we can engage with somebody and, and have them focused on our attention, um, that we can do something better for them and create more revenue for us. And, and I think that's so important out there, and I think we're missing it all. You know, what people don't realize, I can get you to download my app today, and I feel great and wonderful and all fuzzy inside. But next week, you're going to download another app. And that app is, is thinking the same thing that you're thinking to get my attention. And then next week, and then week after. And every time somebody downloads an app, they have this... They're, they're fighting more for the same attention. Everybody's fighting for the same attention. So 
how do you get to be the one to get that person's attention at the right time that creates the value for them and the value for you? And I think that's where we've missed it. I think everybody just figures it's a natural. And I want to go back to one other thing that, that I think proves how the airlines do it right. You know, we're going down this path now in this industry that, you know, if we can't sell all our tickets, let's get whoever else to sell it for us. What do we care? You know, we're getting their data. We're getting their data. I don't mind if so-and-so sells my tickets for me as long as I'm getting my share of revenue and I get to know who that person is. But the fact is every time you let somebody else sell your tickets, you're basically handing your customer to them to build their brand. So it's kind of hard to, even though you know who it is, if the customer's not yours anymore, because we all learn in any business that you can't grow your business unless you know who your customer is, but you've just given your customer to somebody else. Um, the airlines... You're like laying out all the juicy things for me. You're yeah. like opening all the doors. Yeah, the, the, the airlines, you know, they let Expedia and Travelocity, Orbitz, Kayak, they let them all sell their tickets for them. But people have to understand why. And that's because they all offer the same product, a flight from A to B. And they also offer other content providers that allow you giving hotels and things to do and rental cars. But again, let's go back to that one thing I started with. 24 hours before you getting on that plane, okay, that United Airlines calls up Expedia and basically tells them, no. I'm taking my customer back right now. They're not yours anymore. This is my customer, and I'm going to engage them and make them check in. So I think that was one of the biggest takeaways that you and I learned that the audience felt at, um, on our panel is the fact that we have to find a way, more importantly, to make sure our customers remain ours. Yeah. And the only way that you can do it is by finding that engagement opportunity that creates the value for them and more revenue for you where it's a win-win. And I fear that our industry is really missing that whole thing because they just think it's all about the data. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. I um, wrote a blog post this morning that you can find on my website that was talking about premium and luxury seating, right? Because that's a big thing. And the point of it was like don't make assumptions about what your market finds is valuable. And I think what drives a lot of this is that we just assume that we know best what our customers want and need. And we never, because one of the things you talk about with the check-in process and engaging people when they're at a, probably a point where like they're emotion, most emotionally engaged, right? Like if you're 24 hours from flight, you're either like, oh my God, I'm so excited to go or, oh my God, I'm dreading this, whatever the emotion is, but you're engaged, right? No matter what it is. Um, you, you know, and it's not, understanding and asking people what can I do to make this a more pleasurable experience what can I do that's going to enhance your experience make it more exciting or if you're dreading it how can I make it a little less painful for you because those are all opportunities number one to engage right it's number two you can like you talk about revenue opportunities uh, number three it's a chance to out you know offer customer service that can grow your connection and your brand and then number four it is a chance to just, um, you know, do the real work of humans helping other humans, which is like where we really can differentiate ourselves, or unless I'm wrong. Uh, no, I think I just think that's what you're saying is so important, and you know, for some reason, this industry is is missing it. They they feel that 
they have to do whatever it takes, no matter how uncustomer centric it can be, to get that data. That data is worth so much. Yet I, I but let me ask you: Is the data really worth that much if all you're doing is siloing data? Because I have a question that I throw out quite regularly here, which is that, like, um, you know, are you using the data in the best possible way? And I, the way I phrase the question typically is: Are you make, letting the data make the decisions for you, or are you using your data to test a hypothesis about how to better serve a customer? I don't think they. I don't think even the most analytical minds in the business really know the answer to that. I think, you know, I hear this statement that just gets thrown out day in and day out. Data is king. Data is king. Wherever you go. And, and you know, I, I've heard it so much. I just one day turned to somebody and said, no, data is not king. Data can be king. But just think about how many times you yourself have unsubscribed from an email list, whether that email list was something that you found yourself on God knows how, or it was something that you, you know, you a, a product you purchased and they inundated you with emails so much you unsubscribed, or it was maybe something you actually subscribed for the first time. And again, too many emails and you had to unsubscribe. So I asked this one person, I said, you know, what good is the data? If, you are unsubscribing from people that have your data um, so that they don't – and asking them not to bother you again. So I think that's really the key is that you know the data shouldn't be the focus. We have to find ways to always be customer-centric. And you know I read a little blurb a while ago. I might have even sent it to you about – you know how Netflix didn't kill Blockbuster, the, the late fees did, and Uber didn't kill the taxi business, you know, limited access did, and things of that nature. And, you know, Airbnb wasn't killing the hotel industry, limited availability and pricing options were. And I think it finished off by saying, you know, technology by itself is not the disruptor. It's not, just a tool. Yeah, yeah, not being customer centric is the biggest threat to any business. That's exactly so why, right. So why is every business out there saying, I don't care about being customer centered. I'm going to bully my people into mobile tickets. I'm going to tell my people they have to do this, which we all know is not customer centric. Um, you know, everybody thinks the millennials, you know, they got to have a mobile ticket as an example. So here's an interesting thing that happened to me that we haven't discussed. So um, last week I took my six-year-old nephew and my nine-year-old niece to see Justin Timberlake. And they had it, they were spoiled because we had some front row seats and um, they got wristbands. Look and at they, you with the humble brag. Yeah, <laughs> I was a good uncle. And they also got their tickets and, uh, you know, like a, a, a ticket stub. And about as we were leaving, they were, or just before in uh, the intermission, they were clutching their tickets and looking at them. And I said, you know, and I looked at them and one of them piped up and said, do we get to keep these, Uncle Alan? Do we get to keep these? And a week later, when I saw them, they're still wearing their wristbands. And I'm thinking to myself, what good is a mobile ticket to these kids? Even though in a d today's life, they live and breathe their iPads. You know, they know more about YouTube than, than you and I probably put together and what's on it. But yet they wanted to have this physical souvenir. And we're taking that away because we believe that 
if we move people to a mobile ticket and don't give them any more choices, we're going to get that data. And I think it's going to kill us potentially down the road because we need to figure out how to use that data the best way possible or else we're going to be just like that saying is about being the biggest disruptor is, is being not, is not being customer centric and that being a bigger threat to our business. And you got to think, David, like we've got esports, you know, around the corner, we've got virtual reality, we've got actual reality, you know, there's so many choices now in today's world for the next generations and even our generations to do that we would rather sit at home than go and fight, um, you know, to, to find a way to get a ticket. You, you so, know me. You're, you know I'm on board with that too. It's like if it's inconvenient for me, I, I just won't go. Yeah, I mean – you but, know, and, but I want But before we go down that rabbit hole, though, I want to go back and highlight what you said about your niece and nephew, right? Okay. And, and a hard and a hard ticket, right? Because I had I saw this thing going a, a Twitter conversation going uh, between some guys in sports business last week, and it was talking to just about the hard ticket versus the electronic ticket. And there's always like um, it's a false conversation, right? It's always like a red herring, right? If you went to college and learned anything about speech, the red herring, right, or the slippery slope, whatever you, whichever you want, which is like, oh, we need the data or the electric ticket because of ticket fraud, right, or because of security, which and really what it is is they want the data. And my question to you is that like, how much is not having that ticket stuff and that emotional artifact for somebody? How much is it costing you for the sake of the data, which you maybe don't know how to use or don't know what to do with, when you could probably just as well get the data from the customer by simply asking for them and providing them some sort of value in return for them raising their hand and saying, this is who I am, this is what I do, or, you know, giving, you know, telling, giving them your email address or whatever it is. Well, I, I or am I way proof, off base? Even no, I I don't think so. I think I think the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I I know that there have been some some um, you know, about three four years ago, you know, the big push was to paperless ticketing, not necessarily mobile, but a paperless entry, even you know, a credit card entry. And I think um, I could be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty certain it was the Washington in, in your area. The, the it was either the um, I think it was the Capitals. I think at Monumental Sports. I think they went to a paperless ticketing, um, not mobile only, but a paperless only. And I think the next year they dropped it. And um, um, I know that I, I, I know that last year. Okay, I know that last year um, the Montreal Canadiens actually went all mobile, and they had a terrible season. I read a few articles about pushback that people were upset with the fans and i think they um they offered them i think they had to spend 150 dollars per ticket and a 25 dollars service fee and taxes that totaled about 350 dollars approximate uh to keep your your season ticket booklets and um big uproar um they went back to that option this year and uh from a third party i heard that 86 of percent of their season ticket holders are on um, paper booklets now given the choice and again that's what customer centric is being is is giving people choices you know the airlines you know have you ever asked yourself why is there no incentive by the airlines from the airlines for us to go mobile there is none 
you know, when you and I check in, David, they say, Alan, David, would you like a mobile boarding pass or would you like a paper? Print it. If you say, if you consider printing it, they tell you, you can print it now. If you don't have a printer available now, you can print it later. If you have no access to a printer, you can print one at a kiosk when you get to the airport. If you're dropping a bag, we'd be happy to print one for you. So they give us four options to print our tickets. And you and I being try to be mobile savvy, we say, nah, we want a mobile ticket. So give us our mobile boarding pass. And then they say, after, you, after we've clicked that, they say, we just sent you your mobile boarding pass, but click here to print out a backup. Five today, five options of paper, one mobile, and because of that, after since 2006 when mobile mobile boarding passes started in the industry, 13 years later, today, seven and a half million out of 10, 75% of the people given that those choices are gonna opt into a paper ticket over a mobile ticket. What does that tell us? And I think it tells us that that choice is being customer-centric. And we should never go away from it because even if it takes away 1% of the people get upset with it, why? We, we, we don't have, you know, we don't have um, sold-out venues every single event we have. We have to fight. Every venue has to fight. You know, Taylor Swift doesn't come around every week. You know, you know uh, it just doesn't happen. And, um, you know, we have to find ways, I think, more ways to be customer-centric first and then take that customer-centric and figure out then what data we get from it, how do we use that data that's going to benefit everybody. And I think you, we go back to the airlines. You know, we, there's a lot of things we don't like about the airlines, but the one thing I can tell you is I don't know anybody that is unsubscribing from their airline miles list <laughs> program. And even if you get to keep your miles program, you can still unsubscribe from getting the emails from it, but we don't because they don't inundate us with emails left, right, and center. It's always an important email. Like, use your miles to buy magazines, and I fall for it every time. <laughs> but, but, but you're exactly Everything. right. It's, it's, a, it's a point. It's touching you in a way that's meaningful. And I think, to me, what happens in the communications back and forth between the teams or the venues or the performers is a lot of times there's no value in the conversation, right? Like, I used the example when we were, when we were in Dallas – of being a, a member of the Pearl Jam fan club yeah, and how, uh, you know, which was awesome because there was like a dozen people that walked up to me afterwards and they're like, well, did Eddie Vedder really send you an email? And I was like, no, it was the fan club. I was like, but I, I used that. I said that to make a point, which was the fact that like they hit me right at an emotional point. And I, before I even could think of it, I was like, yes, I'm in, I'm buying the ticket. I'll figure out how to get there afterwards. Right. Which was like the whole point. It's like engage people in a, in a conversation that they want to have with you and add value at every touch. And that's the airlines model. You know, Lord knows they do plenty of stuff that makes you want to hate them. But as far as engaging you and engaging you in a way that's kind of meaningful, they do a great job. And some of the ho better hotel rewards programs do a great job of that, yeah. you know, or American express another great example. And, if the conversation has to be one that's based on value, not just me giving you my money, which is valuable to you, but you giving me value in return. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we, we got to keep going back to the customer. You know, this industry has to focus more on what the customer wants and not what the industry wants, because 
you know, we're going to wake up one morning and it's going to come back and bite us in the butt. And I think, you know, um, you know, a, a great example was, you know, you asked me what um, a while back on your blog and just to repeat it for those that maybe didn't read what, you know, you know what you had said or what I had said is, you know, what's important today. And, you know, I remember when I was younger, I used to, it was such an event to go that I, I remember Elton John was my first concert and we, we heard they were coming to town and my mom allowed me to go down and get the tickets and it was a big event. We all went down, we stood in line and believe it or not, I still remember it was seven ticket limit. God knows why seven, today it's four or eight, but back then it was seven tickets and it was a big, huge event for us. We got excited and whatever tickets we got, a lot of them were GA at the time. I remember being crushed on the floor. It was fun. It was an event. We all got excited. You know, nowadays, you know, as soon as an artist announces a tour, it's not that excitement anymore. That's gone. Everybody thinks, how am I going to get tickets? You know, the, you know, because the bots and the brokers get them all. I get so many phone calls from my friends just when it's announced, hey, can, can you help me with some tickets? You know, a few people. I said, you know, people think about service fees that are astronomical. People think about all these different things now that are that are so negative and people would rather even stay at home than than fight I, I don't know how many people have told me they just don't buy tickets anymore i mean is that really the message we want to send when it used to be so there used to be fun in it and now it's just a big negative thing that unless you know somebody you just get choked about it. and then every time we turn around you know i i mean god knows how many times a you know, the police or the venues are saying, beware of fraudulent tickets. Um, B, we're seeing them two minutes after sellout <clears throat> on StubHub and other sites for five times more than what, what, what they were. It's so discouraging unless you know somebody that <clears throat> you want to go through this process. <clears throat> and I think it's all coming back to the same thing. You know, there's a lot of reasons, but we got to learn to be customer centric. <clears throat> we got to learn what to do with that data and how to use it. Right, and you bring up a really good point, and I don't know, we've never, we probably never talked about this before, and I think it just came up because you, the way you were talking about this before, which is if we're trying to be customer-centric, let's think about all the challenges and all the things that we're trying to stop, right, all, that have become negatives to people, and ask them why, ask ourselves why they're happening, right? Like you could say, well, why are brokers um, – snapping up so many of the tickets or why do they have, why are we giving them access to so many of the tickets or whatever's happening well partly it's because we've failed in our job of marketing and selling and cultivating an audience right or we have failed in our budgeting plan so that we need that hit of um, cash on hand from the brokers right whatever the case may be you know whatever it is i don't you know the, the answer to it's not not as important as the why you know why is this happening right the same thing why is fraud such an issue well because we've you know kind of created a system where fraud can happen all the time right i mean it's if there's a challenge it's incumbent upon us to solve it as well because we probably have created the conditions that made it happen uh yeah i mean you know there's a lot of a lot of theories out there as to how the industry dropped the ball and how the <clears throat> brokers and the bots got in and you know, they they seized an opportunity. Um, you know, I find it really strange how <clears throat> the governments, to be honest, have not protected the industry <clears throat> more, excuse me, in a way <clears throat> that um, that they should. Like, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, I think, is 
you know, people say the airline industry is, is a lot different. But, you know, you're buying a seat on a plane <clears throat> that's got a duration of time. Um, when that duration of time is ends, <clears throat> you give that seat back to somebody, to the airline, and they use it again for another event. There really isn't any difference <clears throat> to going to a concert. None, really. And yet, the airlines can make <clears throat> up the rules that they want. And one of the rules they make, excuse me, <clears throat> one of, <clears throat> excuse me, David. <clears throat> one of the rules um, they make is that you can't <clears throat> transfer a ticket. There's no law that says you can't, but they say you can't. <clears throat> Yet, as soon as this industry <clears throat> wants to control a ticket, everybody jumps all over it and says, the ticket's mine. I can do what I want with it. <clears throat> I don't buy that. You know, yes, this is a security issue, but the only law out there <clears throat> is that anybody... Um, entering or leaving the, Uni <clears throat> the United States of America <clears throat> has to have their name on a manifest one hour before to the TSA. But <clears throat> it doesn't stop me from giving you my ticket, my <clears throat> airline ticket, one minute before that. But the airlines say, no, we don't allow it. Why can't live events <clears throat> do the same thing? And control their tickets 100% and dictate the rules. And if they could, then maybe a lot of the brokers and the bots and stuff would not get in. And I think the industry is hoping that mobile will take them there, that they can do it that way. <clears throat> but again, I don't know where that's going to go when they finally do close the loop, as they say, and the industry can control it. What are the bots? What are the brokers? What's everybody going to say? Is there going to be a pushback that all of a sudden, you know, the industry really has closed off that that transfer. I don't know. I believe the industry should do it. I believe it shouldn't be any different than the airline industry. Um, it's not security. Security is done by TSA um, at the airport. It's the same as now we're having to go through metal detectors at arenas. What happens with the ticket, I believe, should be the venues. And you know what? The venues make the rules. And if the rules are not acceptable to consumers they just won't go you know an airplane you know airlines can make you jump through hoops if they wanted to they could push everybody to a mobile ticket tomorrow there's a reason they don't it's and not I worth the trouble to them right they, they pick their battles well i think they realize that the value does not come from a mobile ticket it comes from engaging with your clients understanding them and finding the value for them and more revenue for the airlines They've got it figured out. And I go back time and time and use that example. Say, why aren't the mo why aren't the airlines forcing us to a mobile boarding pass? Think about it. They, they don't decades. care. It's, it's like you said. It's the engagement, right? They, they don't care if we have a digital ticket, a paper ticket. They don't care if it was work that I could have it tattooed on my palm. They wouldn't care right. as long as they could engage with me and be like, hey, Dave, are you coming? Do you want yeah. do you want to upgrade? You want you check an extra bag? Want to pre-order a drink on board? Oh, 
you want that, you know, you want a dinner, you want, you need an extra pillow. It's five bucks. Come on, give me your money. I mean, which that's great, right? It's, you say what you will about the airlines, but they get that monetization piece down and the engagement piece down because they, yeah. they have captured our attention and they don't let go, which I think is the big point. Don't let go. You have the attention. Don't let up. Um, um, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, I, th- I think I, I think you're right there. The airlines are just, you know, they've they've got it figured out. And there's, you know, we may not like things that they do. Um, let me give you a couple examples. You know, um, we used to be able to book a plane ticket, and we were allowed to take all our bags for free. And now they say, well, it's going to cost you twenty five dollars a bag, David. However, if you don't mind taking a little bit smaller bag and schlepping it on the plane yourself and putting it above you, you can still do that for free. So they still leave us with a choice that we had before. They say to us, you know, we're going to let you go to the front of the line if you want to pay for it. But you know what? If you're okay to just wait back and wait in the zone we call you, you can still do that for free. There used to be a time when when we booked those tickets, we could choose any seat we wanted. Now, as soon as we book that ticket, we're given price price categories for not just first class and economy. We're given five, ten different prices in economy. But they tell us, if you don't mind waiting till you check in, you know, we'll give you one for free then. So they still leave us with choices, maybe not as good as we had before, but they're not taking away that choice. They're not taking something away from us that we used to have. And that's what live events is trying to do. And that's what scares me. That's what scares me the most is that if we continue to go down that path of being uncustomer centric, where are we going to end up at the end of the day? Is the data you know, really end up without customers? Is what happens if you're not if you're not focused on creating and keeping a customer, then you you don't you're going to end up with a, the illogical endpoint is you're going to have a lot less customers, and I think that's the challenge, right? And you don't necessarily create more customers by limiting the well, I, I, I struggle with that because you, you you don't want to give people too many choices because the neuropsychology of marketing has proven over and over again that if you give people too many choices. They will also check out, but you don't want to just give them one my way or the highway, right? You want to you want to give them like you said with the airlines in the check in process. I can check in on mobile, right? I can or I can do it paper. Like at four or five different times, I can do it. It's still two choices, and then, and then there's two or three choices around how and how I do it. But each point, there's only a couple choices, but I still feel like I have control, and I feel like I have choices, and for better or worse, I feel like I want to engage in those choices. And I think that's, that's a real problem is trying to eliminate choice or consolidate choices so that you only have one choice because I don't think that works. Yeah. And, 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 and again, you know, everything keeps coming back to the data. And yet we know that, you know, pushing people mobile, getting more data, you know, is where everybody's headed. I still have not seen one case study. And I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, one case study that says – a team, a venue, or an artist 
increased their mobile ticketing by X percent and their attendance increased X percent because of it. I have not seen a case study that, that exists yet that says that. I have not seen a case study yet that says we increased our mobile ticketing by X percent and we increase our revenue directly correlated to that by X percent. I hear a lot of we increase our mobile ticketing and our data has gone through the roof, but I haven't seen or heard those. And I'm quite sure there are some out there that do exist somehow. I haven't seen them. And you know, so I question if it's, if everybody's going down that path, everybody's mobile phone, everybody's mobile business is increasing. Everybody's has. Why aren't we, why am I trying to search for finding that case study? Why aren't they everywhere? Why every time I turn around, shouldn't I, I be seeing, you know, somebody that's now 99% mobile and yes, look at how much our revenue has increased because of that. Here's where we were three years ago when we had 20% mobile ticketing. Now we're 80%. We've increased that 60%. Our revenue has increased 60% or Alan, 20 you're killing me. You're killing me. You're, you're nailing it because I don't think those case studies exist. Um, so, it's, it, they, instead, they point to fuzz, people point to fuzzy numbers that don't have really an impact on um, the revenue, right? So it's like, oh, I have so much more data. I have 47% more data. I go, right, you have 47% more data because, and you probably should have more because the rate that data is, data collection is growing, it, you, then you're behind the curve, right? Show me how the data, you know, what is that data allowed you to do that is either able to help you reach your market more effectively or to make more money, right? Because if you reach your market more effectively, hopefully you'll make more money but, or directly make more money. Right. I mean, I haven't seen it either. Of course, I know that as soon as I open up the floor and say, oh, I have nobody's done it, then somebody's going to email me and tell me they did. But and which I want to see if you have that email me and Alan and because we, we want to see it. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard great stories. You know, I, I, I think I've heard the real case study is uh, is the Minnesota Timberwolves are 99 percent mobile digital. Well, that would be such a great um, reference if they really are 100% 99% 99% 99% digital and mobile, I mean, how's your revenue this year on that? How's your attendance compared to the where it was five years ago when you didn't have 99%? Um, so, you know, I, I've, I've seen them in a, uh, I've seen them in a, um, uh, on a panel and, you know, the data had increased substantially. Um, and the, everybody talks about, well, we have this data, we can do all these, Oh, we can do all these things with it. That's what I hear. We can do all these things with it. But again, I haven't seen real numbers. And I know that they exist in some cases. They have to somewhere. But there's so much increase in the last three years in mobile ticketing. Why isn't everywhere, every time we turn around, why isn't one of those slamming us in the face and proving that it's working? That's the question I ask. Right. And, that, and what you said, though, is really interesting because you said, well, we can do all of this stuff, right? My question is, and it's born out of design thinking, right, which is like a bias towards action. What are you doing because of all that of that data, right, is most important. And I don't know that anybody's doing it because most of the stories I hear that are, you know, given to that people share with me, it's like that they people are struggling to figure out how to make the data relevant and actionable. And I, and that's no fault of anybody's. I mean, it's, you know, it's like turning on the, one of those, uh, 
you know, a, a fire department fire hoses, right? And like it, it's so much, right? And it grows so fast that if you're not cognizant of what you're trying to achieve with it, it becomes impossible to do anything with it. And it's not anybody's fault. It's really important that people have really good strategies about what they're trying to achieve, which goes back to what you've been talking about, which is being customer centric, right? And so if you understand your customer better, then that data becomes a lot more useful, I think, right? I think you have the opportunity to say, well, this data is relevant. This data is irrelevant. And let me focus on this stuff because this is meaningful and this is I can use to make money. I can treat my customers better. I can get them to engage with them more, Um, right? Or am I wrong? Uh, No, I think so. And I think you also got to remember, though, that the industry is now – you know, shifting to letting other people sell their tickets. And I think that's the kiss of death. I think that, you know, I said it earlier, you know, Amazon tried to come into this marketplace, as we know, and they were basically, you know, stone cold shut out. Um, And I I remember, um, I think I read a quote by Jared Smith from Ticketmaster said, politely, thank you, but we don't need any help selling our tickets. (laughs) And I think Jared did a great job in in saying that because they don't. I mean, you know, as soon as somebody else is selling your tickets, you know, like I said, you're handing the brand, you're handing your brand over to them. And but you're also handing over less the ability to get data from them. You know, I mean, you know, in this industry, you know, StubHub's well, a good me, example. Let me push back on that a little bit because, like, the because I, I don't know that everybody who's listening to this is going to understand that the closed model that kind of takes hold in the, in the states is much different than the open model, the more open model in Europe and around the world. And I don't necessarily think that allowing somebody else to sell your tickets is a bad thing. I think what you have to do is if you just allow people to sell your tickets and you don't have any kind of control over the relationship or in of the engagement, that's bad. But if you allow other people to market and sell for you and you're able to capture some of the data and some of the useful information, right? Like you use, you bring them back and engage them, like you said, with maybe the check-in process or somewhere along the line. I think that's valuable. So I think it's like an all or nothing approach is maybe not valuable. I think, it, or the right way of looking at it, and you know, maybe you were going to get to that, but I wanted to highlight that because I don't think that just letting other people sell your tickets is necessarily wrong. Because in Europe, they do it very well, where there's tons of people selling people's tickets, and it works very well. Here, we seem to only have a, a one or none kind of point of view on that in a lot of cases. Well, let's go. But let's talk about that for a second. That's interesting you say that. Um, firstly, um, I'm going to go backwards here. Yes, it does work well in Europe for selling tickets, but that doesn't mean it works well for for the for for more money for the actual venues. I mean, all these companies that have been doing this for so long um, because of the different model, they continue to build their brand. So you know, in Europe, where you've got you know, the artist is directly connected to half the tickets roughly because of the venues. That's the ticketing contracts, the way they work over there. You know, and then you could have 10 other sellers. Um, you know, those other sellers, you know, you know, the artist is, wants, the promoter wants those other 10 people to try and sell them out as quickly. But they don't have a lot of relationship with them. Those are people that are building their brands separately. So, yes, it, you, you know, the question comes back. You know, those models were taken out many years ago before the Internet really became 
um, a big deal. In North America, it went a different direction because Fred Rosen came up with this model of of, of uh, with Ticketmaster of paying offering people the the service fees and how they do it for exclusive rights. So at both times, you know the the industries went in separate directions before the internet. Now the internet has come around. You know, if you know Lady Gaga's coming to town, I just want to go to one spot, Google Lady Gaga Vancouver, and see all my options in one place and know the ticket's authentic. I don't need to go to three, four, five places to compare. I everything I can get comes from Rogers Arena here in Vancouver. I can get my ticket and have all my options in one spot. I get my parking from them. I could buy food in advance. I get a VIP experience. You know, everything comes from one content provider, and I can find that on the internet. You know, so again, is the model overseas really that efficient? When a promoter has to, you know, is is giving away half of his inventory so he can sell out fast. Great, he's selling his tickets. He's happy, but is the artist really understanding who their fans are as much? You know, are the venues actually understanding the people that are coming into their buildings as much? I don't think so. So I think that model is, is, is I don't know, I want to say it's archaic, but it's a legacy. It's worked, and, and it'll continue to work until technology changes it. Over here, it's another thing. And so let me go back to the first point. And maybe I was wrong. I can be wrong on saying. You well, no, let let me, and before you make the point, too, I want to uh, jump in on that. And if you explain it and the need for the constantly evolve the way you market and sell your ticket and the way your business model operates, then I'm 100 percent on board with what you're talking about. There needs to be a constant reinvention. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm completely on board with that. Now, going back to the first statement that I made is, you know, it's good for somebody to sell tickets. Let me let me rephrase that. I don't believe. You should let anybody else sell your tickets if it's a ticket you can sell yourself. So let's, again, go back to that, okay? You know, right now the NFL, because they could not close their loop, as they said, because the the teams kept complaining and looking over at StubHub when, when there was no official agreement and seeing all that secondary market revenue and data go elsewhere, you know, the teams basically, I, I think, forced the NFL to make a deal where the, uh, where StubHub and SeatGeek were now able to participate. And so the question then is, you know, if you're the New England, you know, Patriots and, you know, you know who your customer is, why do you want to let StubHub be an official partner of yours when I go and buy a couple Patriot tickets and um, I get loyalty points on that and as soon as I turn around – a couple of days later, I'm getting a message from StubHub saying, hey, would you like to use those New England – or your StubHub loyalty points to buy some Boston Red Sox tickets? So, great. The, the Pats got the data, okay? But do they really have that customer or is that now a StubHub customer? Oh, that's, and a great, that's, that's a great point. I mean, that's and that a tremendous is now become, point. And that has now become a StubHub customer no matter how you look at it. So do because they, they well, let me tell you, let me ask you this then, because you bring up a good point, right? Like, so they're a StubHub customer and then the relationships deepening because they're engaging with you, right? So this goes back always, always to your key term that you, that we can, the epiphany we came up with, which is engagement, 
right? They're doing a better job at marketing and, and growing the customer relationship because they're smarter about the way that they're engaging with the customer. Am I, am I misstating anything there? Yes, and they're also giving them more choices because I can go to StubHub and have a StubHub. What do I want a New England Patriots app, a Boston Red Sox app, a, a Boston Bruins app, and a Boston Celtics app? You know, when I can go and get a StubHub app, I can get all those four tickets that I want. Now, and even better. I get those four tickets. I can get all my New York tickets. I can get all my Seattle tickets. I can get all of them. Yeah. No, it it makes sense. You know, now you you think that's to the customer, you know, and I'll give StubHub credit. They've come up with a great user experience that probably beats a lot of people out there, and that's why they've been able to do better. But at the end of the day, if somebody told me I can't buy my tickets on StubHub, I have to buy them on the New England Patriots site. I'm going to. I'm. They're not going to lose me as a customer. The same thing is is the way the airlines work today. You know, if somebody told me I can't go to Expedia anymore, you know, I, 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 you know, if they took away three of my four choices and I can only go to Travelocity, I wouldn't be upset because I can still get everything in one spot. Okay, and Southwest Airlines is the exact proof of how they've taken a model and changed it. They've said, no, we're not going to let anybody else sell our tickets. And they have to compete with their, you know, with their um, customers, their, their, their product going from A to B. They're competing directly with 5, 10, 15 other airlines. Yet they've said, we believe we can know our customers better and we can sell to them directly and give them even more savings. And they do it. They're the fourth most profitable airline in North America. They're the second most for customer-centric. But more importantly, you know what they rank as number one? Southwest Airlines has the number one miles program in North America. Number one. And why do they? Because they engage with their customers better than any other airline and know what they want. And that's why they're number one. Tons of choice. Tons of engagement. You know, they just, it's not fan, a fancy airline, but they do all the important stuff well. Right. And they found out what their customers want because they engage with them. Same as Michael Dell did back in, I think, the 80s or whatever, when everybody, or 90s, whenever was selling, you know, computers. Right out of his dorm room. Right. The store. <laughs> right. Out of his dorm room. And his model was no, I want my customers. Now, Unfortunately, I think as time went on, he had to compete a little bit more, but he still sells direct. He still sells, you know, you can buy from us direct where a lot of people won't, you know, giving the choice. If you like to buy at Best Buy, yeah, we offer our product there. But if you want to just come to us and get the best savings, you know, you can. Um, I I just believe that you have to know everything you possibly can about your customer and what they really truly want. And you can't do that when you're letting other people sell your tickets. Now, if you can't sell those tickets, you've tried, you've exhausted every effort, every effort, and you still got inventory left, fine. Throw it out there on Groupon. Throw it out on Game Time. Love Game Time. You know, last minute people, you know, don't even care sometimes what it is. They're just looking for a last minute cheap thing to go and do. You know, person would never, ever look. Uh, at the Golden State Warriors, maybe or something, because they're in the theater. You know, they they like theater, but 
They want something last minute to do. So there are values from that. But find out as a, as a, as a content provider, find out where those values really are before you let somebody else sell your tickets. And I believe it's got to be the last resort. And you take your control. You sell direct. We have the internet today. You know, most people know what they want. And then, you know, you've got, you know, things like song, well, song kicks no longer, but Spotify and, and bands in town and things like that that notify people when the artists come and Pandora. Um, you've got sports things. You've got ESPN out there. You've got a lot of people that are notifying people when, you know, and the media when things are happening in town. So, you know, go after those things. Make sure that they, everybody, you know, make those partnerships so that they know, you know, that something's coming to town and you Google it, it's going to come up one site, every option possible. And if you still got inventory after all that work you've done, well, fine, then find somebody else to sell your tickets. Cause then it doesn't make a difference. You know, you're going to get something is better than nothing. Right. But again, the NFL, I think that some of SeatGeek are doing very well. They've proven better user interfaces. They've proven that, they can capture, and the fact of the matter is, the NFL scared to to close the loop and tell those companies that they can't, you know, sell their tickets. I, I'm just somebody that disagrees. I really believe that that you know you set the the teams will set the rules, they'll set the user experience. They have to bring up their game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think they don't. You got to always be don't. upping your game. Right, and if and you can't bring up your game if others are already beating you at it. No, if you're forced, <laughs> if you're forced to bring up your game because you're going to lose your customers, you're going to find more direct ways to make them happy. Yeah, that's where I think we have to be. I really believe that that you know, and and I hear these arguments. Oh well, the teams will you know they'll they'll put floors you know they'll put floors in. Well, if somebody tells me I can't sell my Vancouver Canuck tickets that I've spent you know fifteen thousand dollars on for a season below cost what I paid for them. Because that's just the rule. I might just not buy them. That's... I'm going to tell them they can take them next year and put them where the sun don't shine. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, yeah. just it's I just agree. that. So a floor is not a realistic. It, it, it's trying to create some false impression of the value of your product. The right. the the market's going to tell you if your product is valuable as valuable as you think it is or not. If because they're going to buy or not buy based yeah. at the pro, the price that is set. Right. That's yeah. that's where the skin meets, you know, the rubber meets the road, as the saying goes. Uh, I think I think you know the stock markets, which is where I started in in, in my business career, have, have proven over a hundred years that you know, you know, supply and demand in a regulated marketplace is efficient. And the problem we have with a lot of events is is the fact that the primary ticket allocation is not efficient because people have been able to get in and work the system because nobody's been able to control that. And it's because it seems like, you know, the the brokers and, and StubHub and, and the secondary markets have been able to, I think, you know, put a put – a, a nice pretty thing across the, the the public and the government and the media that you shouldn't be able to own your the, control your ticket. Your ticket is yours. You should be able to do what you want, but you can't do it in the airlines. What's the difference? I keep going back to that. Why can I not hand you my ticket one minute before an hour so that your name gets on the TSA 
and you get on the manifest, so they know who you are coming and going out of the United States, and you get to the airport, and they're test, they're checking your ID, and they're sticking your bags through a conveyor belt with X-ray vision, just make sure you're not taking a bomb on the board, <clears throat> on board. Why can they, why can they make that rule up? But we can't, as live events, say no, and that's what really boggles my mind. I think more than anything else is that a team, an artist, a venue, they take all the financial risk. There's, there's no guarantee they're going to win. <clears throat> they could lose, but they take the risk. They put the money up. Why do the brokers and the secondary markets able to convince governments and media and the, and, and the public that it's wrong for them to control <clears throat> their tickets and make up the rules that they want? <clears throat> that's <clears throat> what I think the biggest problem here is. I think I think probably the big the big point that I think we've made here is that the, the number one thing is to make sure you grow and keep your customers right. The number two is like you got to keep constantly delivering them value and reinventing that value because what's valuable today is not going to be the same thing that's valuable in six months or a year. And then like. The, the cycle always has to be on keeping the customer as long as possible. And I think, you know, how we get there, that's what makes this fun. Um, but that, I mean, that's the challenge. And I think, you know, what you're doing at fair ticket solutions is, you know, it's interesting because it does focus on how you can add more value to your customers, how you can create, you can monetize that value in a way that gives the customer more value, a better experience. And, you know, and it's really interesting. And, before we go, can you tell a little bit of people a little bit about what you're working on right now? <clears throat> uh, sure. Well, you know, the model that we that we, we kind of went on is the fact that that uh, we created a check-in platform that works with any ticket format. And again, based on what we've talked about all day, we believe that you know the venues, the artists, the teams. They should leave, like my nephews. They should have that opportunity to wear their wristbands and, and, and keep their tickets, you know, not where they're going to walk into a VIP area one day and they're going to smile and in they go. There's a value to having these things and there's a value to having that choice. So we created a, a platform <clears throat> that when people purchase their tickets, they say the tickets are not activated. And to activate them, you're the only one that can do it and you do it by checking in when you get to the venue. And when you get to the venue, there's ways either using a mobile app or using a kiosk that is married to the credit card that let's say that you purchase it or going to the box office. We're now looking, moving down the future as actually putting facial recognition into that. So again, you could, you may not want to download your app. You may not want to pull your credit card up out of your wallet or your purse as you walk up to a kiosk to swipe or tap it so that it can activate your tickets. You may just want to Download a selfie when you're purchasing the ticket, and as you're getting close to the venue, you walk by the kiosk, and it automatically recognizes you within three seconds and says, welcome, Dave, to tonight's event. You're now checked in. Please proceed to the gate. So we want to be customer-centric. The other way is also for security purposes. We know we're going down that path, and even taking that facial recognition and putting it in a mobile phone where people, when they check in... Um, uh, and they get and they get close to the building where they're uh, where they're allowed to where they're notified they can check in. Again, they can push a button, 
but then you can hand your phone off to anybody like the brokers do and they you wouldn't know who it is but when you check in if you have to recognize be recognized that the phone is yours and that the selfie that you're now the camera's now um capturing is the same as the one that was when you purchased your ticket then you know basically that it's the rightful person and that can activate the tickets and the nice thing about that is now when people are would be downloading their their photos um they could be compared on watch lists and a person owning those tickets wouldn't even be able to activate them so now you don't have an issue at the gate or through security person when they're getting close to the venue their just tickets won't be activated because that person's on an own watch list so we're taking away that bottleneck that could possibly happen at the gate or security and putting it back at, as to even a mobile phone where a person could be a quarter mile away or at a kiosk prior to going into the, the stadium. So that's where we're at at Fair Ticket Solutions. We believe that um, checking in is not a bad thing. Um, you know, you've got 10 million people doing it every day in the airlines, but you've also got cruise ships and hotels and even my bank nowadays. I can't even to put money into my account, never mind take money out. I can't even put money in to my bank account unless I punch in my pin. Theoretically, I'm checking in and letting them know it's me. I think we're all used to it. Um, you and I have been checking in for years. We get it. Okay, if we're told we have to do it for another industry, okay, fine. Millennials are doing it automatically. Whenever they go to an event, they're checking in anyways on Facebook, in Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Foursquare, whatever it is. So our model is very simple. We have fair tickets to believe you should be checking in. That's what activates your ticket. You can have any type of ticket that, that basically can be offered. We're not going to take away those choices. We don't think the venues, the teams, the artists should be taking away any choices. And you can lock down that PDF so there's no more fraud. You can give the artist the control of their tickets so they can't be resold above face value. And the nice thing is, is it's universal. Everybody understands it. You know, right now there's so many different platforms out there, David, and there's good platforms, but there's certain platforms that work for sports only. There's certain platforms that work for only sold out events. There's certain platforms that work for festivals only. You know, there's all these different solutions out there right now. It's confusing. And I think the public would just love to know and go to one spot. All their options are there. The procedure is the same for everybody. They get the best ticket that they want at the best price possible. They know it's authentic, and the way to get in the building is the same everywhere. Why aren't we like that rather than having 27 different ways of things going on with everybody trying to figure out the solution when the airlines that are $750 billion in an industry compared to our $30 billion have decades of experience and have said this is the way it's done? Make, because, the, make the purchase easier for people. And Make I mean, it uh, easier. Yeah. I mean, a Amazon has won that battle with one click. You know, we might not get the one click, but I think we can definitely do better. And that's what I like oh. about what you're offering. Um, where can we point people on the Internet? Oh, um, well, our platform, which people seem to like more, is Authenticket. You know, uh, it's a neat name. And uh, so Fair Ticket Solutions is our website. But if you go to www.authenticket which is just the way it sounds, authenticket, one word, dot com. Um, there's ways to find us. And hopefully um, they'll be seeing us a lot in the news as, as the future grows um, or to get a hold of you. We've got a lot of great things going on, and um, we're excited, and hopefully we can share that 
with everybody, and I want to thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to have this discussion today and uh, with you, David. Of course, of course. It's um, and I'll make sure I link to Authentic in the web uh, in the show notes, and um, I would also point everybody to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Um, right. Yeah. So, um, Alan, thanks so much for doing this, and I'm, I'll, I'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure. Take care, Dave. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank my guest, Alan Geflin from Fair Ticket Solutions for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, as always, you can find out about me by visiting my website at www.davewakeman.com. You can find me on the Twitter, at David Wakeman. Again, if you know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman Twitter handle, I'd love it if you get it for me. It would be like a fantastic Christmas present, a birthday present, a holiday gift, whatever. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, you can send me an email. It's dave at davewakeman.com with um, your thoughts, your questions, your ideas, your concerns, anything you want to share with me about the podcast. Also, if you'd like to get my ebook, my PDF with 101 ways that you can generate revenue, uh, market and sell your live event, send me an email at my name, dave at davewakeman.com with the subject line revenue in it. And finally, if you like what I'm doing with the podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. We're on all the big platforms now, um, and it, or and or leave a mess uh, a review. All of these things help. They mean a lot to me. Um, they they help people discover the podcast. Or maybe even the most generous thing you could do is just share the podcast with one person. All of these things add up. The Business of Fun podcast has been way more impactful and successful than I could have ever hoped for. And it's all because of all the people listening. So I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, thanks to Booking Protect for being a sponsor of the Business of Fun podcast. Check them out at www.bookingprotect.com and find out how you can offer your customers a better buying experience more peace of mind in their purchases, and how you and your organization can probably get a brand new stream of revenue that can help do all kinds of great things in your organization. Um, Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you again soon. Take it easy.